Okay, let's pray, and we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the, gr- the great um, history that's been recorded for us in Daniel. We thank you for the great prophecies uh, that are recorded in Daniel, uh, many that have been fulfilled, many that are yet to be fulfilled. And so, Father, we ask that as we open your word today and we look at this story uh, or this, this mighty prayer of Daniel, that you would, um, Lord, help us to see a, a snapshot of the whole of Daniel chapter 9 as we examine his prayer and over the next couple of weeks as we examine uh, the great 70 weeks of prophecy, we do ask that you would guide us over these next few weeks, that you would help us to understand, that you would give me clarity and teaching, and that ultimately, Lord, you would encourage us from your word. Uh, we, we love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherias, of median, of median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us Through his servants, the prophets, indeed all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice, so that the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of of Moses, the servant of God. For we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath Turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, 
O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Father, we do thank you for this word. We ask that you would help us to understand Daniel's prayer. We ask that you would help us to to grow from his prayer. We ask that you would help us to become people who pray like Daniel. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you again for this day. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so last week we looked in large part at Daniel 7, and I kind of alluded to Daniel chapter 8. Um, the, the, the thrust of the last two chapters was this, these images. It really goes back to Daniel chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar had that, that, the dream of the statue of five parts. And then last week in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has this image of four different beasts that, that correspond with the statue. And then in chapter 8, there was a, a, a vision of a, of a ram and a shaggy goat that sort of fit within the images, the, t- the two parts. So there's sort of this, this far prophecy in chapter 7 overarching that God is sovereign over the nations, um, that he has a plan, that he's working through all of this. And then in Daniel chapter 8, there's sort of like this near prophecy of things that are to unfold. Uh, as the time sort of chronologically, I guess, to look at these prophecies, Daniel chapter 7 happened in the first year of Belshazzar, who we saw in chapter 5, the very end of his life. So sometime between chapter 4 of Daniel and chapter 5 of Daniel, uh, chapter 7 and 8 happen. We see that these two dreams that Daniel have um, happened in the first year of his reign and then the third year of his reign. And now we come to chapter 9, and we read in the first year of Darius, the son of that really hard word of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. And so suddenly now we're in the first year of, of the, the new empire, the, the, the Medo-Persian empire. And if we were to look back into chapter 8 in verse 20, we see the ram which you saw, which the two horns represents the kings of Me, uh, the, the Medes and Persians, so Media and Persia. And so Daniel gets to this point, and he's had these visions and he starts saying, I had these visions. Now we're through the, the Babylonian era, and the Medes and Pers are in control. And it's almost as if he begins scouring the scriptures that he has at hand. He, he wouldn't have had all of the scriptures, but we see in today's passage that he, ha- that he had some portion of, of Jeremiah, who was a contemporary prophet. He, he was a little bit older than Daniel, and he was this prophet that sort of foretold the coming of, of the Babylonian Empire and all of these things. And so Daniel had a scroll. In fact, it's in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, that when they were canonizing Scripture to figure out what books are of the Bible, Daniel played a huge role in the authenticity. But if you want to cating it, it's authentication. Authentication of it. It's one of those words right now that's not working for me. When they were canonizing scripture, Daniel refers to Jeremiah as the word of God. So verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years. Now, I want you to underline that circle because this chapter, this phrase is going to play a critical role in understanding the sort of the back half of this. So something within Jeremiah dealing with the numbers of the years which was revealed in the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely the 70 years. So we're going to look at the cha- his prayer. But we can't pull Daniel's prayer out of chapter 9, which is probably one of the most significant chapters in the whole Old Testament dealing with prophecy. And so he starts scouring 
the, Jeremiah. He has a scroll. He's examining the things that Jeremiah wrote. I don't know if he went in there going, I think he said something about, about what we're going through. We have this new kingdom. I need to get back in there and I need to start reading what, what was prophesied because I think we've turned the corner, prophetically speaking, that God's about to do something new. This is Daniel speaking from this point in time, which we know from the dating that he gave, uh, gave of Darius that this is 66 years following Daniel's captivity when he was taken captive in 60, 605 BC. So he, 66 years has unraveled. If you'll turn with me to Jeremiah, it's just a couple books before Daniel. And in Jeremiah chapter 25, certainly this would have been one of the passages that, that he stumbled across. So Daniel knows that he's been in captivity, that Jerusalem was annihilated 66 years prior to his encountering this verse or verses. And so he comes to Jeremiah chapter 25, which wouldn't have been chapter to number. This didn't come, you know, thankfully to some French guy in the 1500s, we got chapter and verses. I'm super thankful, but they weren't there for him. He's reading this scroll and he comes to what we know as Jeremiah chapter 25, verse eight, that says, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, the northern kingdom, <clears throat> declares the Lord, I will send Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all the nations around about. And I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. This is all before Nebuchadnezzar came in and took Israel captive. This was prophesied by God that Israel will be taken captive for 70 years. Daniel's doing the math. He's like, when did I get ripped away from my family? That was 605 BC. This was 66 years ago. But there were three different, remember there were three waves. So there was 605, there was another one that I'm blanking on the exact year, and then there was a third one that the Jews to this day say that's when, it, that's when Jerusalem was destroyed in the 586 BC. And so he, he, he knows it's been 66 years for him. The, the ticker started for God at 605 BC, but Daniel didn't know, like, he's looking at prophecy. He's like, we're certainly getting close. I'm an 80-year-old man now. And I might live to see when my people get to go back. But it's prophesied here in, in Jeremiah. Verse 12. Then it will be when the 70 years are complete, I will, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, I will make it an everlasting des desolation. I will bring upon the land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against the nations. For many nations and great kings will make slaves of them, even them I will recompense according to their deeds, according to the work of their hands. Even though I'm using this, this great evil empire, Babylon, they will, pay, they will pay for the evil that they've done. They're not going to go unaccounted for. Now we, we skip ahead a couple pages, and we come to a, a verse that is so often quoted in Christian circles, not, not knowing the context. I don't want to get, I, I don't want to, there are certainly principles that we can take from this, but to claim these verses as our own is, is really not accurate biblically. And so we come to Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Daniel is reading in captivity. His whole nation has, has been destroyed. His family ripped apart. Certainly uh, many were murdered in, in the, the war as they were taken captive. Daniel's now been in captivity 66 years just utterly decimated. And then he reads these words. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you, Jerusalem, Israel, and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Where is this place? Back to Jerusalem, back 
to God's city, back to his nation, his people that have been decimated, scattered throughout the world. After the 70 years, he's prophesying that he'll gather his chicks back, his, his people. I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. This whole passage is dealing with Israel that had been scattered. Jerusalem was a wasteland. Israel was, was nothing. Totally, utterly decimated. They were hauled away in captivity, brainwashed, turned into the Babylonian people. Daniel is one of the few that remained Jewish. He stayed faithful. Not anything is written bad about Daniel. And so then we go back to Daniel chapter 9. We see that Daniel is reading this prophecy of Jeremiah, which was given before the captivity. And Daniel says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. This is like an aha moment for Daniel. 70 years. So this could be four years out. This could be, God's not done with us. God's still doing a work for his people, Israel. And this drops him to his knees. And he's going to pray the, the longest prayer that's recorded in the whole of the Old Testament, one that sort of set the stage or standard for, for many of the other prayers found in the Old Testament. And I, and I think that there's a, a model of prayer here that we as Christians can use today. But as we look at this prayer, I want to begin sort of like putting some breadcrumbs out kind of future. Because the Christmas story is totally in Daniel chapter 9. So this week we see the prayer. This is the discovery that God had made a promise that his nation would be restored, that they would be brought back. And we'll see that under the Medes and Persians, that they would be allowed back to start building the temple again. And then as we get to chapter or verse 20, so Daniel prays, at the end of his prayer, Gabriel shows up again. And Gabriel's going to say some prophecy that's going to be really, like, scholars wrestle over this. So the 70 years of captivity moves to the 70 weeks, which I'll give you time, guys time to process this later, but I want to sort of put a little bit into your brains. We, the, the word weeks is like a dozen. It, it, it deals with context. So when we get to the weeks, it literally means seven. And then the issue is seven what? So if I say, I want a dozen of, can you get me a dozen of those? Everybody naturally thinks donuts, right? Because we associate donuts with a dozen, or maybe that's just me. But if I go down to the hardware store and I'm standing in front of the bolts and I say, I want a dozen, you're not going to assume donuts, you're going to assume bolts. It's, it's a number. And this word for weeks is one that's, that the context dictates. And so in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed the books, the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord. So, so as he begins talking, the context, we're talking years. And so when we get down to the weeks, we're talking about groupings of seven years. I'm going to hold off on that. And then when we look at verses 20 through like 25, we see this promise that over the course of these next 69 years, which is 69 dozen or 69, sorry, dozen, that's not, that's my illustration. Strike that from the record. 69 weeks of years is the clearest way to understand it, that the temple will be rebuilt we'll see that the Messiah, the advent of Christ, will come and that he'll be struck down. So in the, the, the schedule here, like so Jesus' 33-year life, it sort of like for them would appear as like one 
encounter. And then in verses 26 through the end of it, the 70th week, this last week is addressed. So all I want to say is Daniel's praying. He understands 70 years is going to elapse. He begins praying. At the end of his prayer, he gets this additional revelation. And the additional revelation says, in a certain amount of time, the Messiah of Israel is going to come. Then he's going to be cut down. And then there's going to be another period of time. And some other things are going to happen. Like, so there's still, there's, I'm trying to, I'm talking to myself and talking to you guys at the same time. So prophecies given, given. For Daniel, all of it was future. For us, part of it has been fulfilled and part of it is yet to come. And we'll deal with this over two weeks. But let's get back to the prayer. So Daniel discovers this magic number of 70 years. He suddenly recognizes that, that everything that he's been going through was as a result of the people's sin. Um, that Israel had been rebelling against God. God in Exodus throughout, it was very simple. You, you, you obey me, there's blessing. You disobey me, there's cursing. And basically, the people of Israel said, we're going to do it our own way. And God said, fine, if that's what you want, there's going to be judgment. And the light bulb comes on. And so verse 3, so Daniel says, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He's suddenly so grieved that, that he that his external appearance, that he would change it to show that he's mourning for his nation. There's nothing written bad about Daniel in the whole of the Bible. There's no evidence. I mean, we know that Daniel is a sinner because he's human, but there's no grievous sin recorded against Daniel. If anything, the Bible props up Daniel. And yet in this prayer, I can't even count how many times the, the word we or us, where Daniel includes himself with his people pleading for God's mercy. Happens. And so, so basically in verses 4 through 14, what we'll see, I haven't figured out how to unscramble this egg, but we're going we're, we're gonna to work through this. And you're going to see Daniel talk about the nature of God, his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness, his patience, his kindness, everything that we know about the nature of God. And then on the other side of the coin, we're going to see Daniel and the people of Israel and their unholiness, as they measure themselves to God, he recognizes their iniquity. And so there's this confession that goes from God to the people, and it just kind of goes back and forth. So verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, right there, he recognizes that his God is awesome. And, and this isn't like how, I mean, this is how I talk about In-N-Out Burger, but we're talking about real awesome, like, like the creator of the universe, like awestruck that this is the one who spoke creation into existence. This is the one whom Daniel is praying to at this moment. We see who he keeps, his covenant, that when God speaks, it is true. God doesn't change his, he doesn't change what he says when he speaks, it is. And he recognizes God's reliability. Then he says in his loving kindness, this, this word has said in the Hebrew, that, that it's a difficult word. It's like God's love, his mercy, his patience, sort of all wrapped up into one. It's a beautiful word. It's, Alas, O Lord, the great awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. This is the message of Christ. This is, this is the message of John. And first, just this Saturday, we read 1 John 5.3. You can turn there if you want. It'll be quick. So in 1 John 5.3, we read, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Here, page is turning, but it's 1 John 5.3. God has always been the same. Like, God loves us. 
He gives us instructions because it's, it's really the path of the most joy for us. So here, Daniel, as he reflects it, he says God's loving kindness for those who love him and their love is man, man, uh, manifested in their lives by keeping his commandments. Verse 5, this is the we, the us, the, the confession. In contrast to God, he says, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. He's like, we didn't keep your commandments. We didn't want to follow you in obedience. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. He's been reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who's known as this weeping prophet, calling out to Israel, warning them, guys, get right with God, get right with God. Nobody listened to the prophets. They said, we didn't listen. Verse 7, righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, open shame. There's something about that phrase. Like, this is just the, the picture of total humility before God. God, you are right in all that you do. We find ourselves here under captivity, suffering, our families separated, are ripped away from our land, and all that's due us is open shame. As it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, I don't know if I mentioned already, but in this chapter, Jerusalem, the holy city, this holy hill, it's mentioned something like 10 times. As it is this day, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you, open shame belongs to us again. There's no, this isn't fair, God. This isn't right what you're doing. Daniel is coming out of the end of God's discipline on, on, on their lives as a nation. And he's saying, we deserve this. Open shame belongs to us. O Lord, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. The Lord to the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. This is another, like as he's mourning, he keeps going back to the character and nature of God. And when he looks at God, what does he see? Here he is. When he looks at God, he sees God's compassion. He sees God's forgiveness. That in the midst of this punishment that they're going through, which we can't even begin to imagine because we haven't gone through any sort of war where we as a nation have been taken into captivity. Our nation has seen a lot of war, but we haven't seen war like this on our own soil where we're driven from our homes, taken from our land, taken into captivity, and being forced to learn another language. We don't know that. And at the end of this road for Daniel, what he says is, God, you're so compassionate. You're so forgiving to us because we deserve so much more in terms of punishment. For we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he sat before us through his servants, the prophets. Again, the prophets, the prophets, they warned them, they warned them, they encouraged them to get right with God, and yet they kept doing their own thing. It's like today we have the word of God. We, we live in an era where so many copies of the scriptures are available to us between the hard copies, your phone. I can get any different language on my phone and even tell you what it means in the other language by, by just touching a word in another language. Say, oh, this is what it means. And yet we're so prone to say, ah, I don't really like, I don't agree with that part. I don't like what that says, so I'm going to do it my own way. And I'll take the parts I like and I'll leave the parts I don't like. We're no different. And he says, this is what we were doing. Verse, verse 10. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servant, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law 
and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which was written in the law of Moses, the servant of God. Daniel says this is, all, this is, this is not new information to us. If you'll turn with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy is towards the beginning. It's the second giving of the law. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, this is what Daniel is referencing. This is sort of the explanation. The purpose of Deuteronomy is as God is speaking to his people. He tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 30. <clears throat> wait till I hear the pages. Stop, I guess. In verse 14, we read, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. And that I commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering and possess it. This is the blessing side of the law. He said, everything I've given you, it's given to you so that you could live your lives with joy and peace and, and, and blessing. Verse 17 starts with a but. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serves them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish you will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him. For this is your life, and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. You can go back to Daniel. When I read these verses, I, I'm reminded of pre-converted gunner that used to kick against the the handful of Christian friends that were trying to witness to me and trying to get me to, to convert and go to church. And, and I, did, I, I remember hearing myself kind of arguing with them, well, I don't want to do all the stuff in the Bible because I, like, I just like, want to have fun. I don't want to go to heaven because all my friends are in the other place, you know? Like all of these things, I'd say like, I thought that what Satan was offering me came with lasting joy, lasting happiness, but it's a big lie. The reality is, now that I've been a Christian for a number of years, and I see that living for him and doing, like, no, none of us are perfect, but as I surrender my life more and more to living more and more like Christ has asked me to live and following his instructions and trusting him, I see that by doing it his way, my life is filled with so much more joy peace like it's just God's saying I'm not doing this to hurt you I'm not giving you this guidance to make your life miserable my life wasn't fun back then but I'm, I'm actually having a lot of fun as a Christian today so verse Verse 11 is where we were to kind of back it up. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed against your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice, so that the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God. For if we have sinned against him, thus he has confirmed his words which he has spoken. God told them all along, if you follow my plan, there's blessing. If you don't follow my plan, there's cursing. And Daniel 
looks at his place, 66 years in captivity. And he says, God's word is faithful. The situation I'm in today is because we didn't heed his words. Praise be to God that his word is faithful. It's, it's an amazing prayer that Daniel is praying here. Verse 12, thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like that was done to Jerusalem. Our captivity was amazing. (laughs) Like this never happened anywhere in the world that a country has been so decimated. It's basically saying that it was so bad that they, they got crushed so badly There's no other nation that you can look to. And the the fact, like Israel basically went out of business when this happened. 586 BC. 2,000 years later, the state of Israel reemerges. And I don't know that all the answers are clear cut, but it's clearly God's not done. Like the, the fact that Israel exists today is like a total miracle. And verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses... All this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all of his deeds which he has done. He is right in the punishment that he has given to us. There is no arguing back about what's fair and what's not. There, you don't want to get into the fairness argument with God. That's a, that's a losing situation. You want to plead for mercy, for forgiveness, for his kindness. You're better off dealing with his character, like, oh, that he would be gentle with us in the punishment that I deserve. If we want to go for fair, none of us would be saved. None of us would have anything to give thanks for. But in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our wickedness, God continues to pour out his blessing on us. But we have not obeyed his verse, voice, the last part of 14. So we have, the, we have this period of, of confession that's commingled with adoration of God. Now we're going to get into his requests. So Daniel starts his prayer, which is a good template for us, praising God, focusing on the attributes of God, confessing his sin, confessing his people's sin. Like Daniel didn't do anything. And I have a note to myself here, like question, when was the last time I have prayed like this for my nation? Christians are really good at complaining about the other side, whoever the other side is. It just depends where you are on the spectrum of Christianity. In, in the United States culture today, we're really good at complaining about those that have destroyed our nation. But what I see from Daniel's example is he's on his knees, on his face before God. And I see we, 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 us. The, the question is, when was the last time you prayed for our nation? That you've confessed the sins of our nation. Like there's a lot of like there's a lot we can confess. Like when was the last time you opened the paper? For those of you that still read the paper, I still read the paper. I I like going through the news. But like not just reading the paper and go, oh, what in well, you fill in the blank with whatever words you want to use about whatever side. But it's like when was the last time you read something that kind of like where you got politically charged and said, No, I'm gonna pray. Like the whole president and dealing with China, like wherever you are on that spectrum, have you gotten on your knees and say, Lord, I just pray for our leaders that you would give them wisdom and as they interact with each other. Like, I don't even know what that looks like. I praise God that I'm not the president of the United States because I don't ever want to be in that position. Like, like it's, but that we would go through the paper, that we would look at the things that are happening to our leaders and our nations instead of just like getting mad and upset over what our leaders are doing to, to truly have a broken heart and to pray for our nation? What would that look like if all of the Christians in our nation would pray like that? I don't know. It'd be good. I heard a yes, so I like I was one that thinks that'd be good at least, so thank you for that. But now let's get into his request. And his request isn't gonna be anything like 
than I think it would be like. Verse 15, and now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. I think it's interesting. This isn't the first time that Israel was sent into captivity. And he remembers the previous time, the big one, when they were brought out by Moses. And he said, we did this before. And God was faithful before to our nation. And so like we're in this situation, we're not in Egypt, we're in Babylon. But like Egypt, God can move again. And he says, and have made a name for himself this day. It's all about God's name and his prayer and his request. He cares about God's reputation, not about his circumstance. He says, we have sinned, we have been wicked. Verse 16, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, here's the request, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for because of our sins, And the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have been a reproach to all of those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, for God's sake, his name, his reputation. O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. That's Jerusalem. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. He said, I'm not pleading for anything that we've done. This is pre-Christ. Where was God's presence? In the temple. What was the situation with the temple? utterly destroyed. And Daniel's saying, God, for your sake, it's not even about me. It's a, it's a, we're your people. We bear your image. That your temple, it's been destroyed. The nations are mocking us for your sake. Be gracious again, again so that your fame would be known, not ours. It's a powerful prayer. And he says the, the basis of this isn't because they have anything to offer God. They have not one merit to offer God. The, the basis of his request, and I think there's a lesson for us as we seek God's blessing in our lives, as we pray, but on account of your great compassion. Lord, would you answer this? Not because we deserve it, not because we're entitled to it, not because of you fill in the blank for whatever reason that you think that you're so great and wonderful that God owes you this. His posture is, I bring nothing to the table, God. We as a people bring nothing to the table. I ask on account of your character that you're a compassionate God, you're a loving God. And he says, from that, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. Lord, do it for your reputation. And as he's praying, just to kind of sneak ahead, now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God on behalf of the holy mountain, that's Jerusalem of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I've now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. I don't know how long it took Gabriel. Like, I don't know what the commute time is from like where heavens, like angels dwell to like here. But Gabriel's like, whew, I got here. Hey, at the beginning of your prayer, the order was issued, and I just got here. He's still speaking. And I'll, I'm not going to get ahead into next week, but, but it's this, this beautiful picture that God is hearing his prayer and, and that God is responding to his prayer before he like, gets wind of it, you know? 
two weeks ago, the most amazing thing happened to us. I, I don't know if I shared from up here or not, but like, is my wife here? Yeah. Can you show your hands up in the air? <laughs> well, are they there? Okay, there are two rings. I can't see that far anymore. Let's say. But there's an engagement ring on one of her fingers. Seven months ago, it was lost. We prayed. I like asked many of you from the church, pray, 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 pray. Prayer wasn't working, or so I thought. And so I thought the next thing to find up, speed up the process of finding it was to file the insurance claim because I knew as soon as I filed the claim, the ring would pop up. <laughs> it didn't work that way. Seven months later, as we're putting up the Christmas tree, Grace does something in some drawer we never go into, and she comes running and screaming, not the plane, the plane, but the ring, the ring, you know? Like, and it's like, it was like, praise God. It sure didn't seem like he answered the prayer in time, but he sure answered the prayer. And Daniel is praying, and he is, like he thought the visions before were bad. I hope he's holding on to his seat when Gabriel begins speaking to him. And Gabriel's going to tell him some wonderful stuff about the Messiah that that, that first, in the near term and the far term, first that the temple would be rebuilt. And then after that block of time, the Messiah would come. And then there would be more difficult news that the Messiah would be cut down and that these other events would happen. And from Daniel's prayer, what do we learn? I think the first thing that we see, like if we learn anything from Daniel, we learn that God is reliable. He's faithful. Um, we learn that about God's character, that he's patient, he's kind. Um, he's a God of goodness. We see from this prayer that God's word is living and active. And that if he speaks it, it's true. We see that as Daniel was in the word, it was from being in the word that this powerful prayer bubbled up. And this prayer was very much in line with the word of God. And I think that we learned from Daniel this, I mentioned it earlier, this, if you don't know how to pray, if you want sort of a structure of how to pray, I think his, his, his outline here is simply you could outline it with Adoration, confession, petition. That he started his prayer or commingled in his prayer is this picture of God. Just praising God for who he is, his character, his nature, everything that we know about God. As he looks at God, the light of God begins to reflect on himself and he realizes how sinful he is. And then he just begins confessing. And it's confession like... We have a hard enough time confessing our own sin, let alone confessing the sin of others. But Daniel's confessing his own sin. He's confessing the sin of his people. He's con confessing the sin of his fathers. He, this, this, this whole situation, he's confessing it before God, and he's acknowledging that they as a people and that he as an individual contributed to the problem, and they absolutely deserved it. And as they align themselves with God, that's when he began petitioning God. And his petitions were in alignment with God's will, were in alignment with God's name. You know, Scott, the other week, I don't know, was that last week he shared about his daughter's friend? And, and then on Monday, he shared the, uh, like the blog, he, he forwarded me this blog about their, their daughter's friend. And, you know, there's so much in that situation that could cause for bitterness, could cause for any number of people to shake their fist at God that it's not fair. But when you read, when I read this letter, it's like this was a couple who understood who God was or is and that they were just grateful. And I'm sure they have their fears and their worries, but in this letter and what they were conveying, is that they were just so at peace with God's 
character and nature that regardless of what was going to happen and all the handwriting on the wall is that this young man is going to die and leave behind a wife and, and a, at least one kid or two, was two, one child. And it's like, well, praise be the name of God. And there's something about being transformed by God that changes your perspective. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this, this prayer of Daniel. As I look at this story of Daniel and all that the people of Israel have gone through, especially at this point in history, Israel had been decimated as a nation. They had experienced the horrors of war, the horrors of uh, family members, loved ones being killed, being drugged into captivity, spending 70 years under a brutal dictator. I forget the number, but I think by today's story that Daniel had, this was like maybe his 10th king that he was under. And we see the stability of Daniel's life walking in a way that demonstrated that he knew you, the living God, the sovereign God that is in control of all things, whether we like them or we don't. And Lord, it's just a beautiful thing that you work through your word to speak to Daniel at this point in his life at the end to show him that your prophecy was given that Israel would be allowed to return to Jerusalem. Then you showed him that the Messiah would come. That that great stone in Daniel chapter 2 that was cut not with human hands would come and take out that great statue. That that plan was set in motion. And Lord, we wait now. We still look forward to that time. The kingdom is, is here but not all the way. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to cling to you, um, that we would look forward knowing that our king is going to return and that we can trust him in the midst of our circumstances. Father, I do ask that you would help us as a people to change our perspective and how we see the world around us, that when we read the paper or watch the news, that instead of getting agitated about the things around us, that we would grow burdened deep within our soul, that we would pray, really pray for our leaders, for our people, for world events. For we know that no peace will come until ultimately Jesus comes back. And so we long for that day. We long deep within our souls to experience the peace that only you promise and that only you can deliver on. Lord, we are grateful for this day. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.